worship service. So we're inviting all of the local churches to bring their youth here on Sunday night, August 5th. And we're going to have a time of worship and prayer and um, teaching and everything as we prepare for the new school year. Just a time to unite with one another in Christ as we get ready to head back to school. Just so you know, you know, listen, this person goes to this church, but we're all a part of the family of God. And so we want to go with a united front back into the school year. So that's going to be August 5th, and we're going to host that here. Um, so if you know of any youth that aren't involved in church or, you know, any other youth groups that may be interested, just let me know. And there's, some, there's a couple of sheets of paper in the back that have just when it is and that kind of stuff. So be free to pick one of those up and pass them out to anybody you may think may be interested in that. Um, if you have any more questions, you can let me know. Also, youth camp is tomorrow. So we leave for youth camp tomorrow morning. If you have a student who's going with us, we are meeting here 8.30 at the latest. Okay, so 8.15 is better, but 8.30 at the latest. And we will pull out of here at 9 a.m. And we'll be back Friday, probably around 4 o'clock. Um, that's the plan. So give a little leeway there. We, don't, we never know for sure, but that's the plan right now. So be in prayer for our... Um, our youth as we head to youth camp tomorrow. Um, I want to go ahead and thank a few people before we go to youth camp. All of our um, small group leaders and sponsors who will be going with us. Also, Marsha Harper and Gina Kingston, who's going to who are going to cook for us while we're there. So I am blessed to have so many good good helpers and and lovers of our students at this church. Um, as we prepare for worship this morning, let us read from Isaiah 55. It says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does, not, does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for Jesus and, and just him and coming to this earth as a, as a servant of you, Lord, coming to, to give us an opportunity, Lord, to have, to have life, spiritual life, fullness in you. I thank you for this church, Lord, and the love that they have for you. I pray that you just lead us this morning in worship and be with Michael as he brings the word, Lord, just that he'd be filled up with you. I thank you so much for all the many blessings that you give us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. If y'all stand with us this morning, we're going to start with singing Rescue the Perishing.
they may hate me for this in a little bit, but if you're a youth or an adult and you are going to camp this week, you're getting on the van in the morning, will you come up front um, right now? And we're going to have a time of prayer over our youth um, before we leave. So you can either get up voluntarily or I can call you by name, your choice. I just think it's important for you to see who's going, and so you know, um, I feel like if you see them, God may place a name on your heart this week to pray for, and so I encourage you, you know, when those people come to mind, when those names come to mind, to pray um, for these kids, um, pray for us adults who won't sleep a lot this week, um, and who will drive a lot tomorrow, Um, and so I just wanted you to see who they were before we went, and I'm going to ask Mr. Terry Harper, he's going to come up and pray for us. Let us pray. God, as we pause this morning to think about our young people, our youth, and I just praise your name, Father, for who they are and for what they stand for and for their willingness, God, to to go to camp and to study your word and to hear your word. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, for their commitment. Thank you for them being here uh, week after week, God, to hear uh, your word proclaimed. Thank you for Bryson as our, as our youth leader. Thank you for all the workers, God, that are a part of, 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 of our youth program. <coughs> and God, today we simply are asking you to, to be with them in a special way this week, God, that you may touch their lives just as only you can, Lord, in such a way that they hear something or from someone or relate to something that can help change their life, God, and, and keep them on the path that, God, you've got planned for them. And I pray, dear God, for every worker, God, that is involved in, in, in youth and in this trip this week and for all the preparation that's gone before it. Thank you for the support that's given by the church members to, uh, to be a part of this, to make, to make this possible, to make this happen. And thank you, God, for our Pastor Neil, who, who leads us and who supports our youth in such a strong way. And God, I ask right now that you be with every parent who has a youth going, that you would help them to, to pray this week and, and to help them to realize, God, that uh, without them, this wouldn't be possible. And we're thankful for our parents and for their support of our youth and for all, God, that that they do to make their lives one that you, Father, would approve. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We praise your name, and thank you, God, that we know that you will go with them. And for that, we ask, God, for you to be with them and give them safe travels as as they travel. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing one more song together this morning.
real glad you came to church this morning. I know we have a few empty seats here or there, but those people are going to regret it um, because this morning you have the unique opportunity to hear um, Michael Creed preach. And if you don't know, Michael's been doing an awesome work the past two years in Japan. And anytime he steps up here, you know it's going to be exciting and full of joy. Um, and if you want to have fun, you can count how many times he like goes up on his toe because he gets so excited, he'll literally like leap up. Um, and so join me real quick and we'll pray for Michael and then we're going to turn it over to him. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for Creed, Lord. Thank you for the life and energy and joy that you put in him to share with us, God. Lord, I know that this is a word that he's been working on, Lord, and I know that he has um, a great heart for you and that he is... Um, just going to really speak to us this morning, Lord, but we pray that as much as we love Creed and as awesome as he is, that you take him out of the way right now and just simply use him as a vessel to speak through him and minister through him right now, God. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you. Lord, open our hearts and clear our minds. May your word find a lodging place in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Catherine. You're Count how many times I tiptoe. Is the mic good? We can hear? Cool. So, good morning, y'all. Sweet. I love y'all a lot. I really love being with y'all. Hope y'all know that. Children. Oh, children's got to go. Okay, before it gets too crazy. <laughs> okay. For the adults in the room, if we want to turn to Luke chapter 14, we're going to be in verses 12 through 24 today. So Neil, Neil's been talking a lot about the goodness of God. So he talked about the goodness of God in creation, he talked about the goodness of God in his providence, he talked about the goodness of God in his providence, even when much is a mystery. Job 42 last week. And today we're going to talk about the goodness of God and how freely he invites us in his free invitation. So I get a chance to pray too, right? So let's pray again. Let's say, Father, thank you so much for inviting us to your table. Thank you so much for an awesome salvation where we get to sit and commune with you and have a fellowship with you. We're sorry, I'm sorry, for being so distracted from how great and awesome it is to be with you and to know you and to be able to walk with you and talk with you and hear from you and, yeah, live a life that you tell us to live. So thank you so much. Please help us, Father, um, to know what this word is. Please help us in the next few minutes not to speak or hear anything that isn't true. Lord forbid it that we say anything that's not true of you. So Help us to focus. Help us to understand greater what your word means, Father. We want to know. You can help us. Please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, make these things known to us. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. So, before we hop into verse 12 right here, we're going to do a little bit of context. Context is pretty important. So, if you, you have chapter 14 in front of you, you see in the first verse, it says, One Sabbath... When Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So this is the scene. Jesus is at a table. He's at a feast. He's at a wedding feast. And not just a Pharisee, but a ruler of the Pharisees, a very well-known man, very respected man, 
has invited Jesus and many others to this feast. So they're at this feast, and Jesus is about to make it kind of awkward because he's about to start calling people out right there on the spot. He's going to tell a story that really just calls out the people in the scene. And so they're watching him. All eyes are on Christ. They're watching to see if he's going to heal this man on the Sabbath. Um, they're trying to call him out. And in verses 7 through 11, he just starts speaking, and he, he notices something. He notices people are trying to earn their own honor. They're sitting in the places of honor. So if we're at a wedding feast today, we know the, the seats in the front are the seats of honor, right? And so they're trying to sit up there, and Jesus is saying, no, don't do that. You, when you go in, you sit in the back. You sit in the places of dishonor. So if someone, if the person who invited you invites you to the place of honor, then you receive more honor, right? So whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted, right? Everything's backward in the kingdom of God. And he's about to continue on in that story. He's going to start telling a story right now. And we see that our Lord is so much more concerned with truth than societal harmony even. We get really scared. I get really scared. I don't want to offend anybody. But Jesus cared so much more about the truth than offending people because this is really offensive. So if we keep that in mind, we're about to read um, verses 12 through 24. So verse 12 says, oh, I think we're reading different versions. I'll read from up there. How about that? And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, Jesus, said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I've married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to the master. And then the head of the household became angry and said to his servants, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you've commanded we've, we've done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. It's a pretty, pretty intense story he just told. And so let's just go, we'll kind of go a little bit verse by verse, and we'll explain the scene, and we'll put ourselves there, okay? And there's a lot to learn from this, but if you know my co-journeyman, his name was Ian. We spent two years together, slept in the same apartment, had the exact same job. I had no freedom from this man. Well, I called him while I was preparing this, and it was so encouraging. This is so beautiful. If we talk about in Bible studies, we all have something to share because the gospel is similar, very, very similar, and every passage of scripture is so similar to a diamond. So, you know, a diamond, I just bought a wedding ring, so I know about all these. A diamond has so many faces, right? So no two people can see 
exactly the same face of the diamond if they're standing in the same spot, right? So we're going to see so many different faces of this diamond. We could talk a lot about the lame, the blind, the poor, and the crippled in the scripture. We could take it in a hundred different directions. All you got to do is keep rotating the diamond. But today, what we're going to talk about, what we're going to focus on, is God is our master, and he has compelled us servants to freely invite everyone. So that's the perspective we're going to read from. So we're already there in the scripture, so let's go back to verse 12. And look at this beautiful mini-sided diamond. And let's say, let's read it again. It says, He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Right? So he's dining at the table of this Pharisee. And Jesus, he makes it a point to declare that the banquet of the kingdom of God, it won't look like this one. Because at this banquet, people pursue the places of honor, and they want earthly honor, right? And our Heavenly Father knows that we too want that place of honor. We all want to be leaders, well-respected, and the seats of honor at these banquets, they represent worth and value. And someone whom others highly esteem may feel good about themselves, but ultimately it's going to fall apart. Neil makes a good point of saying, we're all going to die. And we are, that's true. They are trying to exalt themselves, but Jesus here, he's proclaiming that we shouldn't just invite those who can repay us in this lifetime. So we should invite all, including the outcasts who don't have the earthly means to repay our kindness, right? So this goes right along with the rest of the Bible. The economy of God is completely opposite towards ours, right? We think we want to invite someone who can repay us. I scratch your back, you scratch mine, but this is not what the gospel is. The gospel says... When you give to the needy, you don't sound a trumpet. When you fast, you anoint your head. And when you pray, you don't do it on the street corners because people see you and you have a reward on earth. They've received their reward, but we have a heavenly father who sees everything that's done in secret and he rewards us openly, right? So let's go down to verse 14 and it says, you will be blessed because I cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And as I was reading this, tears just kind of filled my eyes because I realized he's talking about the lame, the blind, the poor, and the crippled. And the whole Bible, this is where it could get offensive to us if we're not in Christ, the whole Bible says that we're dead in our trespasses, that we were completely helpless. So we couldn't come to Jesus by ourselves. He came to us, right? God came down from heaven, sought after us, and he wanted us in in his family. And he's done something incredibly awesome We, in this story, we are much like the lame, the blind, the poor, and the crippled. We, we are helpless, right? And we could quote tons of scripture about this, but we know that to be true. And God says, you'll be blessed. And I just thought about the whole Bible. If you just think about the whole Bible, does God ever expect us to do anything that he himself hasn't already done? Even when Abraham was called to go up on the mountain and sacrifice his son, God stopped him, but he didn't withhold his own son, right? And even when he tells us to go, I'm sending you as, as sheep among wolves, that's exactly what Jesus did. And Jesus came and gave his life for us. So this, by itself, we could spend the whole sermon right here and just talk about God's goodness. God is really, really good to have us. We're his children, right? We're at the table. We're the lame, the blind, the poor, and crippled. And we're at this table that he's invited us to. So I think it's really important to remember that because he's about to, in this parable, in an allegorical way, tell us 
how we should go about living our lives. So let's go on down to the next verse. It says, When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So, this is really interesting. Jesus was talking about the lame, the blind, the poor, and the crippled. And this man, you know, it's kind of awkward because Jesus is at this table and he's been invited by the Pharisee and he just starts calling him out in the middle of the, the feast. Um, and this man, he's trying, to, he's trying to cool down the situation. He says, you know, yeah, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's like he's missed the point. He's not talking about the lame, the blind, the poor, and the crippled like Jesus was. He's completely missed the point. He says, yeah, everyone who's there, they're, you know, they're going to be happy. But Jesus, he's not going to back down. He's, he's going to keep teaching. And Jesus, um, yeah, he's not afraid to, to make things really confrontational. He loves the truth more than he loves what people think about him. And that's really convicting to me. But this is where the rubber meets the road for a lot of us believers. Are we really willing to sacrifice our comfort and our security to care for those whom others reject, right? If we act like these Pharisees and we turn our noses up and away from the needy, how do we differ from the rest of the world? But again, we've got to take heart, right? Jesus models this for us perfectly. Remember that we ourselves were blind, crippled, poor, and lame. We were weak, just like Paul talked about. If Paul was weak, we're really weak. And we couldn't save ourselves from our sin and soften our own hearts. So we can't look at other people, the lame, the blind, the poor, and the crippled, or whatever cousin you have that's really difficult to get along with. We have to invite them to our table. We have to invite them to fellowship with the Lord. If you haven't gotten it yet, the table really represents community with God. It, rec- it represents salvation. And we know on the last day there's going to be a huge wedding feast, and we're all going to be invited to it. And if we accept, if we know Jesus, then we'll be there forever. So we're about to head on to the, towards the meat of the passage here. So let's, let's go to verse 16. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, right? And the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So I thought this is really important. And you can see it in the scripture, but you can miss it really easily, right? So back in the day, apparently, they didn't have refrigerators or stoves like we do or things to keep it warm. So you would have two invitations, right? Your first invitation, you see it right here in the scripture. And the first invitation is to let the people know, hey, Sometime in the near future, sometime in the near future, we're going to have ourselves an epic feast. It's going to be so good. The food's going to be so delicious. Get ready. The invitation's going to come, right? So that's your first invitation. Because it says he sent his servants out to those who had already been invited. So you receive the first invitation, right? And the second invitation is going to say, hey, the servants representing the master, they're going to come to you. You're the guest, and they're going to say, hey, we have a feast ready. It's ready. Come on right now. So it's different. If we read this with our Western minds, we read this as like American culture filter on, we'll, we'll, we'll think, wait, like, if Jeff Rude has me over for dinner at 6.30, he invites me at 5.15, I ain't going to make that. Like, I really want that T-bone steak. 
but I'm not going to be able to make it. i got stuff to do, man. So it's different, right? This is, they really had no excuse. And he's really going to pick it apart. These excuses are really, really lame. They're really lame. So here are the three examples of the excuses we just read, okay? First excuse is, I bought a field. The second excuse is, I have five yoke of oxen. And so on my notes here, I just wrote, what? <laughs> Won't the field be there when you get back, bro? Do oxen flee when the master isn't home? And lamer than those excuses, there's nothing lamer than those excuses. <laughs> it's really, really lame. But will we make the same excuse? This is the part that's really convicting. There are lots of Christians in lots of places in the world, and it's always been the American dream to own our own piece of land, to have a big house with a picket fence with the dog, and sometimes we might receive instruction from the Lord, but it's so hard to let go of what, uh, what we feel like we've earned, what we feel like we've uh, strived too hard to achieve. And perhaps it's harder to leave when you have more to leave behind, and when we're most concerned with our own wealth and coming up, we tend to disobey so I find this even convicting in my own life. As I'm studying the scripture, you get convicted and you repent a lot. So I repented a lot this week. Lots and lots of repentance. So glad God lets us repent and come back. But I know that he's invited us freely and he compels us to come. We're going to see later with these servants, he's compelling the people who aren't at the feast to come to the feast. Let's not allow distractions or earthly pleasures to keep us from the fellowship with our beautiful Lord and King. He's so worth it. And nothing else in the world can satisfy us like he can, and everything except him will pass away. Right? And that's another side of the diamond we could focus on. But let's move on to the third excuse. The third excuse is, I've married a wife and therefore cannot come. (laughs) So... Again, these excuses are really lame. Really, we should be saying, sorry, i got to do whatever it takes to make it to this feast, right? Really, that's what we should be saying. And there's nothing worth keeping if it's keeping us from Jesus. If you're taking notes, I thought that was a concise way of saying this. There's nothing worth keeping if it's keeping us from Jesus. And this man, he probably seems to have the most legitimate excuse out of the three, at least to me. seems like the most legitimate. But if... Randy's got that picture. Oh, he's about to bring up the prick, the whole, the picture? That's not it. That's it. Y'all know who this is, right? Crystal knows who this is. This is Yumi, right? Yumi is a beautiful servant of the Lord. She excels at loving people, and everything she does, almost, she's not perfect, I promise, but almost everything she does is an expression of the gospel to people. She loves people really well. She loves God more than she loves me. And she loves to serve people, and it's ridiculous. She loves Glenlock Church. Y'all have probably received a written letter from her at some point, and if you haven't, let me know. She'll write you a letter. She really, 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 really loves her Lord. She's awesome. I like her a lot. This man in this story says, I've, you know, I've, I've taken a wife, and I can't come, man. I can't, uh, you know, I can't, I can't make it to the feast. What is beautiful is that God still invited that man to the feast. And I know Yumi, I like her a lot, and if I weren't given a sermon, I'd be like giving, you know, cartwheels and stuff. I feel like that's inappropriate. I'd be jumping up and down and flipping podiums. But 
even though she's the greatest earthly gift I think that I have, I have lots of earthly gifts and lots of earthly pleasures, and they're all really, really good, but even this greatest earthly gift that I think that I have, and I have lots of them, but she, she's up there. Even she doesn't deserve the worship that God deserves. Even she doesn't deserve complete and total devotion in the way that God does. Now, of course, we're called to love our wives and our husbands, and we have plenty of biblical instruction about that, but even our wives and the people we love, even people, they didn't take nails on their wrist to save us. They didn't carry a cross of a hill called Golgotha to save us. They didn't receive lashes on their back and suffer to the point of death. They didn't receive the crown of thorns that Jesus did. And when God says he's a jealous God, he has a good right to be jealous. No one else has died for us and done everything necessary to give us a place at this feast. Yumi's at the feast, and I love hanging out with her there, but she did not, she did not make it available to me. Only God did that. So even in this excuse, that seems like the most legitimate excuse you could come up with, sorry, i got to go please my wife, it's not worth it. You have to do whatever it takes to get yourself to that feast, right? So you can throw the picture down. It'll, it'll distract me. It's, it's a beautiful picture. It's too much. Okay. So, so let's keep chugging along for our... Okay. So verses 21 through 24. Let's go there. It says, The servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Well, sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be made full. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. So let's, let's talk about the master becoming angry, right? In this culture of hospitality, and it's taken to the extreme, it's not understandable that the invitees wouldn't come. Normally, you wouldn't move heaven and earth to make it to the feast. In the first round of people invited, they not only declined the invitation, they they declined the inviter. They declined the master. And during this day, this would be taken as highly offensive. And after all, they knew about the feast long before it actually happened. Remember, there were two invitations. Not just one. It wasn't just a casual 615 dinner date with the Roods. I want another one of those. It, yeah, it would have been really highly offensive. And they have plenty of time, yet they make these really lame last-minute excuses to avoid the master and his people. Really, they don't want to be at the feast. They don't want to come. It's not that, oh, I've taken a wife, or man, I've got these five oxen, or man, I've got this pasture. No, they don't want to be there. So they're going to say whatever it takes to save face and not come, right? We do not want to find ourselves in this first group. So the master in this parable represents God. We really should feel terror at the thought of an angry master. We know this to be true from the Bible. On the last day, as God separates the believing Christian sheep from the deceived, unbelieving goats, Shannon, if you go down to the Antiquity Center in LaGrange, Shannon will show you a real good visual of this. And we don't want to be on his left side. If you read the parable that Jesus speaks in another part of the Bible, he says there are going to be goats and sheep on the last day, and he's going to separate them. You don't want to be a goat. You really don't. 
So we'll either inherit eternal life and live worshiping the risen lamb forever, or we'll be cast into the outer darkness. So God is love, but he's also just and holy. So it's not okay to only preach on his love and the good news. To get to that point, we've got to get to the bad news first, right? We already know that we were dead, lame, blind, poor, and crippled. So that's the first round of people invited, and that kind of represents the Pharisees and everyone who thought that they could get to heaven based on their own deeds. Got a lot of people in the society that thought, if I can obey the Mosaic law, at least better than other people, and if I memorize the whole Torah, then I'll have a space in heaven. I'll have a space at this feast and at this table, and of course they're deceived. So let's go to the second round of invitations, okay? He says, the poor and crippled and blind and lame, and I don't know if Mr. Norman's here or not, but I thought of him um, because we did one night in Bethlehem together a few years ago, and I was a leper, so I had to stay outside and be like, oh, I'm clean, and people would pass by, and I remember hearing the tour guide say over and over, and it really encouraged my heart, the tour guide, whoever it was that year, just kept saying, so Jesus, these people are on the outside of the city. They're not even allowed into the city, and they're required by law to tell you that they're unclean. If you touch them, you become unclean too. And according to the tradition, it's not a really good thing. So these people, me and Norman, were lepers that year. We were on the outside of the city. We're trying to stay warm. We're all, it's like a camp of us. And we're saying, no, get back unclean. When you come close, no, we're unclean. Jesus, of course, we know the gospel. He reached his hands out. He touched those people. So what he's saying right now lines right up with who he is, right? He's not making this up as he goes. Jesus did what he preached. So when it says the streets and the lanes of the city, it's talking about within the city and right around the city where the outcast would be found. God's law came as the original way of invitation. And for those who followed the Mosaic law and had their sins atoned for by animal sacrifices and other types of sacrifices, they had a place at the feast but now we've got the second round of invitations going out to anyone who heard it within the city walls, even including the outcasts and the untouchables. And the unclean would also come to this party. Anyone who couldn't buy a meal receives it freely, right? Isaiah 55, Bryson just read it. So check this out. This is really, really good. Can you, you notice the difference between the first and the second people? The second, they, they don't have any excuses. They're not making excuses. We're about to read the next verse where it says, the servants came back to the master and said, Hey, master, they came. There's still room. Notice these lame, blind, poor, crippled people. They're not making excuses in this parable. The blind person could have said, I don't know the way. I can't see the way. Like, I physically can't make it there. The lame could have said, like, who's going to carry me there, man? I can't make myself get there. The poor could have said, I have no nice clothes. And we're in a Baptist church, and we don't judge, we love. A little sign outside says where love abounds. But in a lot of Baptist churches, I grew up believing that if I didn't have nice clothes or if I went as I was, then I would be rejected. Then people would talk about me and I wouldn't fit in. Let's just avoid all of that. I'll just hate these people from afar. But these people, these, these poor people, they could have made that excuse. But they were so happy to receive this invitation. And that that is how we should feel when we receive an invitation to salvation or to fellowship with the Lord. We should feel so honored. These people aren't making excuses. And again, the crippled person could have said, I, I can't. I physically cannot come. Are you going to carry me? But notice, 
It's this huge difference between the rich neighbors who can repay you and the lame, the blind, the poor, and crippled who really represent us. There's a huge difference. So those are the, the, two, the first two rounds of invitation, right? And the third round of invitations, Jesus says, the master says to the servants in this parable, he says, go out to the highways and the hedges, okay? Now, this represents the people outside the city because the lame, the blind, the poor, and crippled, everyone in the city has received an invitation. They're there at the table. The servants are back. It says there's still room. There's still food in your house. And the master says, so that my house may be made full, you leave the city and you go and you get whoever. Invite everyone in. So that's the Gentiles. That's us. That's the biblical fancy word for us. Americans and anyone who's not a Jewish person. We, people at Glenlock Baptist Church and everyone in Franklin and Carrollton, wherever you just came from today, we have an invitation to the feast. That's amazing. And we know, again, on the last day, there's going to be a feast. There's going to be a huge wedding feast. And everyone who's received an invitation and has taken it and comes Everyone who comes, everyone who opens the door when Jesus is knocking on it, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be such a good day. So this goes back down to what are we supposed to learn from this? What is some application from this scripture? Because right now it's just a lot of beautiful truth. And Honestly, I don't know the application for every person in here. We could try, we could talk about it, we could have a gigantic Bible study, everyone pull up the chairs. But let's just look at this word compel for a second. So this is in verse 23. He says, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Okay? So these servants, what do they do? They compel people. And I don't know what image comes into your mind when you think about compelling someone to come, but compelling is not a very passive thing. Compelling is super active. If I want you somewhere and I say, Hey, can you come with me? And you say, No, that's not the end of the conversation if I'm trying to compel you to come, right? Y'all remember Jonah? And Jonah had a really bad attitude, really not ideal prophet. God led him to repentance. Jonah doesn't even make it into the walls of the city, and he just quietly says what God told him to say. Of course, God can work through that. Those people, the Ninevites, they repented, and now they're in our family, but we don't want to imitate Jonah, right? That is not compelling. Let's look at what compelling is not. That is not compelling. If we believe the truth that God loved us to the point of death, that he sent his son, his most prized possession, to die on our behalf, and we and our sins contributed to his death, and we were the ones, like in how deep the Father's love for us, it was our sin that held him there, our disobedience, and every lie we've ever told, and every shameful thought we've ever felt, and every fear that we've ever had, every moment we didn't trust him, and we put him on that cross, and he was dying for us. And when he was there, with his hand stretched out like this, like he told Peter, you're going to a place when you die, and people will take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus begged God to let that cup pass from him, but God didn't do that. He turned his face away, and it was the will of the Lord to crush him. When we take all of that into account. God loves us that much. It's ridiculous. We should desperately want people outside of the feast in the feast. We should desperately want people at the feast. We don't lose our seat when someone else comes. It's not like here, 
Thanksgiving table, you've only got 12 chairs. No, there's infinite amount of room, however much God says there is. When God saves someone, there's a chair for them at his feast, and it can't be taken away from them. No one can take it away from you, right? So I thought it's more than just an invitation to church. I know, especially where I lived the last two years, an invitation to church is a lot like compelling someone. Hey, I'm having church Sunday. Do you want to come? That is an awesome invitation to someone who may have never heard the gospel. They come and they hear solid preaching. They see Christians loving each other, and they'll know us by our love for each other. So that is a very good thing. We're not saying it's not a good thing. But this says to compel people to come to the feast. So maybe that requires a little bit more than a simple, hey, can you come to church with me? Maybe it requires a little bit more of, this is what I believe, brother. This is what I believe, and I want you to believe it too. I want you to have this fellowship. And Christianity is so much more than just a list of rules. It's a feast at a table with your Lord. And it's so very different than what we're raised to believe. It's more than just a solution to your lack of morality. It's more than just don't tell lies and don't say cuss words when grandma's around. It's come get some of this food, son. It's so good. And I had to repent so many times when I was preparing the last couple of weeks because I don't think I compel people often to come to the table. That's a very strong word that the master used. He wanted people there. God, he wants people at his table, right? He's sending us out. We're the servants. You get the, you get the metaphor. Sometimes people speak metaphors way above my head. I think this, was, this one's pretty simple. We're the servants. God's the master. The table is the kingdom of God. And he's compelling us, he's commanding us to go compel people to get here, right? For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. That's 2 Corinthians 5.14. Christ's love compels us to do this, right? So, yes. So there might be some application for those of us in this church right now. And we really just need to focus back on the gospel. The gospel is that we are loved and fully known. Fully loved, fully known. And that's, that's where our shame comes from. When we feel like if people knew who I really was and they could not love me and I would not be valuable or precious or honored in their sight. But that's not what God says. God knows us fully, completely, 100%. He made you and he made everyone in your family. He wants you and that. That is good news. So we, we really have to start there. And when we start there, and when we start to believe that, and when we start to be reminded of that, and that becomes part of our daily conversations with people, then, then we're compelling people to come. And here, I don't know everyone in the room, I don't think. I think I know most of us. But I know that there are a lot of us who go to church, and we may have just received an invitation from a friend. Hey, come to me with, with Glenlock Church. It's an awesome church. Please come. And that friend comes, and maybe some of those friends are here right now. So you've never really heard the gospel before, and you've never really heard, God loves me completely. You never heard that he wants me at his table. You never heard so much truth in your life, and maybe, maybe, this is the first time. So this is an invitation to come to know him. We Christians love non-Christians, and we're commanded to do that. We want people at the feast. It's not a matter of judgment. 
It's a matter of we want you there because we love people because we're so loved. If God so loved us, then we should love others, right? So it's an invitation to come. The altar is going to be here, and I think Terry Harper is going to come too. But the invitation is to come. You can't say that no one's ever invited you or asked you to become a Christian. But some of us, I know a lot of us, we're believers, and maybe we've heard and we believe this truth, but maybe we're not really enjoying that fellowship with the Father. We're not enjoying dining at his table, and we've forgotten that it's a relationship and that he loves us, and we should love him too, and we start to feel bad because, man, I'm not reading the Bible every day, or, man, I'm not praying on my knees for as long as I used to. And maybe we've forgotten how good and awesome and glorifying our God is and how much he wants us at his table to feast with him. And if that's the case, we, I want to repent together because I've been repenting the last two weeks. I want that joy to enjoy him because he's so enjoyable. We should enjoy him. And maybe, like me, you read the word compel in the Bible and you see that God his love compels us. Maybe you haven't been compelling others to come to this table, even, even other Christians. We got off a phone, con- phone call conversation yesterday with a brother, and he just needed to be reminded of the gospel. The gospel is not just for non-Christian people. It's not just the entryway to the kingdom. It's the whole road. It's everything. So the gospel, he said it this way whenever I talk about Japan, the Bible is so full It's got a truth for every situation that you're going through, and it leads you, and it tells you who God is. God has spoken to us. He gave us 66 books, and maybe we're not enjoying that, or maybe we don't compel people to come, right? We haven't thought about compelling someone to come before. We haven't thought about what would that look like. Maybe it's really, really hard, and maybe we wonder... Is there really room for everyone in the kingdom of God who lives on Highway 27 or Highway 34 or in Franklin or Carroll County or Villa Rica or wherever you came from today? Is there really room for everyone, all of my awkward cousins and all these friends that I want to share the gospel with but I haven't gotten around to it yet? Is there really room for the one billion people in the world? I've never heard any gospel truth. And we just heard more truth, more gospel truth this morning through this word. If we just read this passage, we've heard more biblical truth and have a greater chance of receiving the kingdom of God than a billion people in the world who don't even have the Bible in their language and they've never heard the gospel. And so many billions more don't know him. They don't believe in him, even in America, right? There's still room for 126 million Japanese people and 99.5% of them don't know the Lord. And just a couple weeks ago, hundreds of them perished under, underwater. And if 99.5% of them don't know the Lord and it follows that statistic, then the vast majority of them don't get to sit at this table that we get to sit at every single day. And it's so good. And I'm so sorry, Lord, for taking it for granted. This such a beautiful truth. And we are compelled and we're commanded. God, he compels us. He wants us to want it. But he commands us. It's a great commission. The last words of Jesus on earth. He says to go compel people to come in, teach them everything that I've commanded you, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and invite them into a relationship with me, right? That's, that's, that's his famous last words. Gosh, God is so good. He's so good, and it's amazing to me that he would want someone like me at his table, that he would want people like us at his table. 
That's amazing. And he wants everyone that you know at his table. He wants to use you to get them there to the table. And there's nothing more enjoyable than doing that. So before we close, I just wanted to read to you. <laughs> I was in Florida for a couple weeks. And yeah, I went to a Presbyterian church. And they have some really, really good hymns. And this is a hymn that I learned that I couldn't finish because I started crying halfway through but it goes right along with Luke 14. And the name of the hymn is How Sweet and Awful is the Place. Not awful like horrible, but awful like awe-filled. He says, How sweet and awful is the place with Christ within the doors while everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? It was the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew us in, else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. Pity the nations, O our God, constrain the earth to come. Send thy victorious word abroad and bring the strangers home. We long to see your churches full, that all the chosen race may with one voice and heart and soul sing your redeeming grace. I feel like that's the purpose of our lives right there, and that's kind of the whole, the whole point. So, yeah, let's compel people to come. Let's come ourselves. There's room for us, too. There's room for everyone at Glenlock Church, and there's room for everyone that we know. It's not, a, it's not a matter of space. It's not a matter of resources. God, he can do anything, and he wants us there, and that blows my mind. So I'm glad to sit at the feast with y'all. I love y'all so much. I'm going to pray for us. So Father, thank you for being a master who wants yeah, us at the feast. Thank you for being a master that has died for us and given us so much truth. Thank you for being a master who, yeah, compels people to come. We want to enjoy you, Father. We want to enjoy our lives with you. We want to enjoy each other. We want to enjoy the truth. You say, come, those with no money, come buy bread and eat. And so you're our daily bread. Man shouldn't live by bread alone. Thank you so much for the truth, and we love to feast on your word. And I am sorry, Father, for not feasting more on it and for settling for things that taste good now but can't compare to you. Far be it from us, Father, to not love our neighbor and invite those who can't repay us to the table. It's our joy and it's our honor and it's our privilege to do what you've told us to do. Help us, Father, to compel people back to the table. We love you. Thank you that we have a seat and we get to talk to you right now. You're so real and you're so present and you're not something far off. You're very real and you're very close, closer than our skin. We love you. We adore you. We cherish you and we treasure you even imperfectly. Help us to do it all the more. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.
ushers will please come forward to offertory. Thank you, Michael. You're an inspiration. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the word that we heard today, and it's, it really hits home because we, we need to go out and witness to people, invite them to church. Just a simple, hey, come by and visit, visit our church. You, you just never can tell if these people are going to walk in there the first time and become members and start serving you. I just thank you for the people that visited me and invited me. We just, we just thank you for everything you've done. I thank you for everything you've done in my life, Lord. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the gospel. Out of all the, all the books of the Bible, Lord, just the, the gospel just strikes my heart more than any of the others because it's, it's all about your son and what he did for us, what he tried to teach us. And like I said, Lord, just finally what he did, Lord. We just thank you for the sacrifice he's made for, for my behalf and everybody in this room, Lord. And, now we come to part of the service, Lord, where we show our gratitude to you by giving our tithes and offerings, Lord. And I just challenge everybody in this room, Lord, to, to obey that commandment to give the first tenth of the income to you, Lord, because I know from my personal experience that we can't out-bless you. Uh, just ask them to step out in faith and, and uh, do what's right, live for the word. And once again, Lord, just... Lay upon all our hearts, Lord, to go around and invite people to church, invite them to that, the table that Michael talked about. We just thank you and praise you and thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and it's his holy and precious name that I pray. Amen.
If you'll stand for our benediction. I believe Bible study is normal tonight for adults. Somebody shake their head. Yes. And youth will meet. Um, remember to pray for us in the morning as we leave and then pray for us this week. Um, Neil will be joining us down there and we will see you all next week. Let's sing Turn Our Eyes Upon Jesus together as our benediction. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the Have a fabulous week.